0: Will contain only the presentations by the main speakers once the main talks are over and we become more interactive the recording is going to get switched off so you can feel free to interact without being uh, recorded for posterity so um, there, there we go each week a number of presenters will present on the step in question there will then be room for questions and answers plus discussion The sessions will last an hour or so, we're going to be flexible on that. During each session, send the organizers any questions you have using the chat function. Audio and written materials are made available online shortly after each session. The link is contained in the flyer for this workshop, a link to which will be reposted during the course of this workshop. Uh, Today, we're going to be examining step one. I'll start off by giving a formal presentation of my understanding of the step for, for what that's worth. There will then be other speakers uh, from Alanon and Essanon, amongst other fellowships, who will go into more detail about how their experience informs their understanding. Uh, give me one moment, I've just got someone pinging me about this. Um, okay, I'm, give me one second to just send people the correct link. For some reason, people are trying the wrong link. (sighs) Right. So there we go. Uh, I'm now going to share a screen uh, with my notes on step one. And these notes are going to be uh, published, as I said, online so that you're able to refer to them later. And I'm just going to set a timer to time to myself. As I said, this is, this is more of a formal presentation at this point, rather than an ordinary share. The more human shares are going to come later. So um, I'm just going to pause. Okay, so a flyer went out for this with the link. Which I think you all found. If you're getting calls from people so say they can't access it, they're probably not using the link on the flyer. So, Sara Rivka and other people, if you give them the link that you used, I can't field all of these questions while I'm speaking. So, please, if, if you can all handle that between yourselves, just send them the link and then they'll be able to get in. That would be hugely appreciated. Thank you so much. So, step one. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol; that our lives have become unmanageable. Now, from an Al-Anon perspective, we've got a slight difficulty here. Uh, let's say the addiction isn't alcohol; it's it's something else. Uh, you know, it doesn't appear to apply. And in any case, we don't appear to be the ones who are powerless over alcohol. They appear to be the ones who are powerless over alcohol. Um, so. Uh, this is going to have two parts. First of all, I've got to understand what's going on inside the alcoholic or the addict before I'm going to have any hope of understanding what's going on inside me in terms of my reaction to them. Right, so the big book, that's your basic text for Alcoholics Anonymous. There's another book, the 12 and 12, which has got some explanatory essays written around 17, 18 years later, which is very good, but it doesn't have the bare bones. It doesn't have the anatomy of alcoholism. And to put it very simply, alcoholism or addiction has got two key elements. The first one, there's a technical term in the big book called the physical craving. What this means, I'll talk about myself as an alcoholic, and this applies to all of my other addictions. I have a number of other addictions from which I'm clean or abstinent today. What this means is the physical craving, this is the the key part of it. When I start drinking, uh, uh, it appears to be to satisfy a thirst. Whereas when I have a drink, it increases the thirst. Uh, If I act out in other ways, I think it's going to satisfy the urge to act out, but all it does is increases the urge to act out and makes it much more likely that I'm going to act out the next day. And uh, the reason this is called a physical craving is it's, it's way beyond my mental processes. I'm not dumb and I know what I'm doing. When I'm acting out, it's like watching someone in a film. Uh, you, you, you're watching, you're, you're, you're identified with the hero, but you can't do anything about it. It's like being at the cinema. Um, you know, when you see in the cinema someone uh, about to do a terrible thing, and you're going, no, no, it's exactly... But that's me watching myself. So once it's kicked off, it's going to continue until it has decided it's finished, Right? Uh, My friend Tom says that alcoholism is a lot like dancing with a gorilla. You're not done dancing until the gorilla is done dancing. So if the gorilla lets go, run as fast as you can out of the cage. Now, I'm going to come to this later on the Al-Anon side of things. If you're the Al-Anon, don't get between the alcoholic and the gorilla or you'll get your arms and your legs yanked off and not by the gorilla. Um, So, when I start, a physical craving kicks in. Now, that isn't the only thing. Um, There's a problem. Once I'm sober, once I'm sobered up, or once circumstances enforce abstinence, I'm fine for a while. Everything is a lot better. But then this thought creeps into my mind that this time I can get away with it. I can get just enough of a hit without the consequences. And this is referred to in the big book as the mental obsession. And I've got a definition here. The persistently recurring and overpowering idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. So you put these two together. If I'm doomed to start again because there's a a, my mind is a little bit broken and will tell me on occasion that a drink is a good idea. If I'm doomed to drink, and when I drink, I'm doomed to continue and in charge of the course of my life. I'm powerless over whether or not I have the first drink. I'm then powerless over how much I drink and what happens in consequence and it's exactly the same with sex addiction it's exactly the same with food there are some small modalities which are different because the addictions manifest in different ways in the material world but the anatomy of them is the same now here's the bad news the prognosis for alcoholics if it's not treated is the condition is fatal progressive and incurable this applies in my experience not just to alcohol and drugs but to food Uh, issues with food, it applies absolutely to sex addiction as well. There are situations which arise out of relapses into sex addiction which cause people to take their lives. Um, uh, The treatment, there's only one treatment that I'm familiar with. There may be others. I'm not familiar with them, so I can't speak to them. And the treatment for alcoholism is a spiritual awakening acquired swiftly by taking the 12 steps vigorously. Um, It's rather like a lot of things in life. If you had a meal which was spread out with one bite every three days, you would be satisfied at no point. And it's the same with a lot of activities in life. They've got to be completed intensively or you don't get the full effect. And the steps are like that. The bad news for the the Al-Anon side of things, this is exactly the same in my experience for the Anons as it is for the addicts. Um and what is unmanageability? Now sometimes people talk about their life being unmanageable in terms of emotional distress and external chaos. Not every alcoholic is in huge emotional distress. not every alcoholic has external chaos. but if I'm condemned to act out and when I act out, I'm condemned to continue until the bitter end. I'm not in charge of my life. I'm not in charge of the course of your life, of my life. If you say to me, here's this address, be at this address by 9 a.m. next Monday morning, I can't guarantee you if I'm not recovered that I'm going to be there. It depends whether the demon in between tells me, let's go and have a drink or let's go and do something else. If I go and have a drink, if I go and do something else, I might turn up, I might not. Who knows? I'm literally not in charge of the course of my life. Now, that's what's going on with the alcoholic and the addict. How can I, as an anon, as I'm an anon as well, I was brought up in a family profoundly affected by alcoholism as well as having my own substance and other problems. Here's the thing. I'm as powerless over someone else's drinking as they are. Uh, in other words, I am powerless to keep them from the first drink, and once they've had the first drink, I'm powerless over how much they drink and the consequences. I'm powerless over the suicide attempts that flow from someone else's relapse. And the initial antidote in step one, in Al-Anon, is I didn't cause it. I can't control it. I can't cure it. Uh, even if I was there all along. I'm not the one that brought it on, I can't direct its course and I can't, I'm not treatment for other people's alcoholism. Uh, You can tell that you don't believe this if you're engaging in any of the four M's, the management, the mothering, the martyrdom, the manipulation, hands up if you identify with any of these. But when I'm engaging in these, it's because I'm not recognizing the three C's. The three C's are connected to the four M's. If they're not able to stop or moderate, they're not in control of their lives. Their addiction is. And why is my life unmanageable? Because I'm powerless over their addiction. Because if their life affects mine, My life is affected by their addiction. It's very straightforward. If you're close to an alcoholic, there are going to be aspects of your life that are untreated. There are going to be aspects of your life where you you get the call. You go and have to pick them up from the hospital. You get the call. They've tried to commit suicide again. And you have to call an ambulance. You're going to be affected. And you have no control over that if they are in your life. They are going to be affecting you. And because you have no control over their alcoholism and they have no control over their alcoholism, stuff is going to happen in your life that you have no control over. So, powerlessness and unmanageability. Powerlessness is my state, unmanageability is the consequence in terms of the effect of that powerlessness on my life. But there is a deeper level. You can boot them out. You can change the locks, you can move country and change your name, but the problem is not over. Um, because of alcoholism uh, in my family on both sides and addiction on both sides, all of the other people developed what are sometimes referred to by psychologists, psychologists as maladaptive responses. Dysfunctional responses. Dysfunction doesn't mean it doesn't work. It means it works, but it hurts. Um, So the system somehow operates. Uh, It's not pretty, it's not elegant, it's not graceful, it's immensely painful, but it functions. Would that it wouldn't function if it didn't function at all? That would almost be better because then you'd have to find an entirely different solution. The horror of it is that it somehow functions, but it functions at the cost of enormous pain and strain. If any of you have acid reflux, skin conditions, gastrointestinal conditions, lower back pain, um, migraine, uh, celiac. Weird allergies you didn't have as a kid, Uh, you know, maybe there's a connection. I'm not a doctor, but, you know, you have as a topic at an Al-Anon meeting. Hey, who's got a skin condition, like a weird skin condition, which flares up whenever they're at what, you know, you're going to be there for two hours. Um, It's dysfunctional. It's maladaptive. I respond unhealthily to other people's alcoholism and addiction and I become part of the problem now that unhealthy response um, becomes so ingrained I'm I am as powerless over that as I am over alcohol as the alcoholic is over alcohol have you ever watched yourself from the outside nagging knowing that it's not going to help and completely unable to stop yourself. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night, unable to stop worrying, knowing that it will do no good, but nonetheless unable to stop? This is powerless powerlessness. If you are powerless, your life is unmanageable because you're not if you're awake all night because you're worried and you can't cope the next day, why can't you cope the next day? Why can't you manage the tasks that need to be managed? Because you didn't sleep. Why didn't you sleep? You were worried. Why are you worried? Well, I didn't ask to be worried. I just was worried. That is powerlessness. Now, the unhealthy patterns. Okay, so health just here's the FYI on what health is. Health is I am 100% responsible for my beliefs, thinking, feelings, actions, and internal life. You are 100% responsible for your beliefs, thinking, action, feelings, and internal life. Footnote, If you are in charge of elderly people who can't look after themselves or children that can't look after themselves or people with other problems that can't look after themselves, there are responsibilities. I'm talking about between two ordinary adults. I'm responsible for me. You're responsible for you. What's my what's my unhealthy pattern? I'm responsible for you. Uh, I have a habit of being bulldozing, controlling, manipulating, managing and nagging and just because I'm effective and efficient doesn't make it right. Uh, Being good at it doesn't help, in fact it makes it worse. Um, I'm not responsible for me, this is the next form of insanity. Um, uh, One of the al questions is you make these wonderful nutritious and spectacular meals for other people but when there's no one around you eat straight out of the fridge or eat undefrosted food saying to yourself well i kind of like how crunchy it is uh self-neglect i didn't go to the dentist for like 20 years my teeth were actually fine it turned out but i i didn't have time who has time for me i don't have time for me um not setting boundaries uh, staying when I should leave, in all sorts of relationships, in jobs, when I let go of something, it has claw marks on it. Uh, the other side of things, you're not responsible for you. And I rescue, I mother, I caretake, I clean up the alcoholics messes, I make excuses. I remember when someone, someone's face actually... I had to tip him back up into his chair because his face was about to go down into the mashed potatoes. He's had a couple more Xanax than was strictly good for him, and I said to his sister and brother-in-law, he's had a long week, he's tired, and I thought to myself, oh my god, I just lied. I was 17 years sober at the time. And I probably could have done with an Al-Anon meeting or two that week, but I didn't. So that was the problem. Not holding the alcoholic accountable and fostering dependence. And then you're, you are responsible for me. This is the other maladaptive response. Blame, looking for rescuers, creating situations that necessitate rescue. rescue. So creating a catastrophe so that everyone has to come and rescue me. But here's where it gets even crazier. Uh, I love alcoholics and addicts because without their craziness, my life looks a little bit dull. I have to face what Milan Kundera called the unbearable lightness of being. You never have to ask big philosophical questions if there is someone breaking things in the room. You know, you just have to clear up first. We'll ask the philosophical questions later. So why am I addicted to drama? Well, it's a hell of a lot more interesting than me. Um, and this, So so to sum up, um, I went on longer than I intended, but there we go. It's step one. It's a big topic. We may spend more than one week on step one. So don't worry if it didn't all sink in now. We're going to play this very much right here. So to sum up untreated they're gonna drink when they drink they're gonna drink too much when they drink too much they're gonna do terrible things they can't stop themselves I can't stop them if they're in in my life I can do nothing about it and they're gonna affect me there are aspects of my life that to the extent that they're embedded in my life to that precise extent is my life unmanageable just a fact second point is that, um those maladaptive responses which persist way beyond the point at which the alcoholic dies leaves whatever gets well i'm as powerless over those and like dumb dumb i will repeat the same thing ten thousand times so is it dumb it's not dumb it's something else it's a mental blank spot I'm as powerless over that, and my life is as unmanageable because of that, as in the case of substance addiction. Uh, So I need step one and the rest of the steps as uh, intensely and urgently as the alcoholic needs it. So that's me on uh, step one. I'm going to close the note. And I'm going to ask Osha, would you like to come in and share with us for 10 minutes or so on step one? Sure,
1: thanks so much. Can you hear me OK? Or is there too much of an echo? OK, great. Hi, everyone. I'm Osher. I'm a grateful member of Al-Anon and um, um, Sorry, there's someone who's having trouble getting in and keeps messaging me, so I apologize for being a little bit distracted. Um, and um, So I also want to say that Step 1 is a very big adjustment. And it was really a process for me. And it came along with um, not only understanding Step 1 and working Step 1 and answering questions for Step 1 and working through the big book on Step 1 and all the different things that I do with the sponsor and ask people a lot of questions about Step 1, but also a lot of adjusting to Al-Anon and to Al-Anon talk and to really gaining much more of a perspective um, that was realistic about what was actually happening with me and in my life and with relationships in general. And, um, and so um, it's certainly a process. It's not something for me that happened at all overnight. Um, and it's, I, I will say that it's an ongoing process even today, I feel um that there's there's always more and more depth to understand about this family disease um and even just that that you know almost simple um uh, phrase of the family disease of alcoholism or addiction it took me a really long time to understand that as well and and um uh and it's a deepening understanding so Um, I'm going to jump in here for for my experience. You know, um, I too came from a background of substance-based recovery. Um, I'm an alcoholic and I'm uh, also a food addict. And I came from those fellowships into Al-Anon when I was 10 years sober and clean. And so um, it took me a long time to understand that I even have the family disease of alcoholism in my family. Um, I really had no idea why I was coming to to Al-Anon, although all I knew was that about 20 people over the course of two years kept saying, maybe you want to try an Al-Anon meeting, and I couldn't for the life of me understand why. I mean, it was my husband who had the problem, right? And I didn't know exactly what problem he had, but if he straightened out, everything would be fine. So that shows you, if, if if you're not laughing at what I just said, then keep coming back because that's the essence of al you know, untreated al thinking, is it's all them, I have no part in this, this is not my problem. Um, and as Tim was pointing out, you know, all the responsibilities are all mixed up, right? Like, I don't have any responsibility over myself. When I first came into Al-Anon, and for many years in Al-Anon, it took me so long, and still takes me sometimes um, um, longer to understand that I even have a part. Um, And so um, I went to some meetings not really understanding why I was there. Now, I certainly qualified for Al-Anon because I was always around alcoholics and and food addicts. Um, But I really didn't know who my qualifier was. And I love something that actually I heard from Tim not long ago, which is, I am not qualified for this program because of my qualifier, but I'm qualified for this program because of me. Right? I'm the one who has the reaction to people in my life who are addicts or alcoholics. Um, and that too took me a while to understand and, and within a few months of being an Al-Anon I really understood that um, one of my parents is an alcoholic and that I grew up in an alcoholic family with um, one parent being an alcoholic and one parent being um, an untreated Al-Anon today. You know, even, even until today, no one else in my family is in recovery to the best of my knowledge. So um, so some of the ways that I work step one is to ask myself, what's mine and what's not mine? And um, that, that can have a lot of different versions, right? But it's so helpful to me to be clear about you know, what's mine is my thoughts, my feelings, my decisions, my behaviors, my choices. Um, What's not mine is everything else, you know, and it's just that clear. Now, certainly, um, um, uh, as we go through the steps, we learn more and more about, um, uh, you know, in steps eight and nine, doing harm to other people and so on, but still that doesn't contradict the fact that in step one, I need to look at what's mine and what's not mine. it's very interesting. I, I will share that the word powerless for me can sometimes be um, um, a little bit uh, misleading because I'm not powerless. There's I have no power, right? So maybe it should be I'm power none. <laughs> um, and I say that because I've had people ask me over the years, you know, so like I have less power, but I still have some power, and so. No, I, I really, truly have had to come to the understanding that I, I really, truly have no power. Um, and sometimes I like to look at it from the other perspective, which is, um, um, I don't have as much power as I think I do in my head, right? Like I can't cause someone to get alcoholism, I can't ca- cause someone to use, I can't, even if they say that I'm the reason, right, that, that's not the reason that they're using. Um, and that's throughout my life and sometimes I, I, I will, you know, uh, share that sometimes I fall back and regress on some of that and have to be reminded by people in the program. Um, I had to learn about the family disease of alcoholism um, even though I came from recovery from um, addictions and alcoholism. And the reason that that, um, that I had to learn about it is because I really had very little compassion when I came into Al Anon for the alcoholics and addicts in my life. And um, and so it was very helpful to me to um, to learn about the disease um, from from the aspect of it being a family disease. And so if you're coming into Al Anon or or into any Anon fellowship without any understanding of alcoholism. Or addiction being a disease, the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous is very helpful to us in understanding what it means to have this disease. And and Tim was very helpful in in explaining some of that. And that brought me some compassion to look at someone as, you know, having an illness that they cannot get rid of, that's going to be with them till the end of time, even if they're clean and sober in a program, even if they're able to say, you know. uh, more and more sane and be able to grow in their sobriety and their recovery and they, in their um, spirituality, um, they still have this. And so, and, and to understand more and more that, so do I. You know, this is something that's um, ingrained in me personally. I grew up with it, and so it's going to be around for a very, very long time. And, um, and so, it, it's not something that I'm going to grow out of, but rather it's something that I'm going to be working on for the rest of my life. And that was very helpful for me as part of step one as well. So when I look at step one and the the, um, term uh, unmanageability, um, typically for me, unmanageability comes up when I am trying to control that over which I am powerless. right? So um, if I am throwing whatever I can at what I perceive to be the problem, right, you're not coming home on time. Right, and so I'm screaming at you. I'm putting up notes. I'm sending you messages. I am making it understood that you know maybe if you put yourself in my shoes, right? Like the like a lot of manipulative, manipulative conversation around. You just have to see things from my end. So all of that is my attempts at controlling something over which I'm powerless. I am powerless over what time you come home. Right, because that is your choice, your decision, your behavior. And, um, and my, how does my life become unmanageable when I'm trying all of these ways to, to have control over that which I'm powerless? It becomes unmanageable, as, as was shared, because I stay up late. Um, I love someone in, in we had a speaker come to one of the other groups and share that um, in order to qualify for Alanon, you need to have a master's degree in waiting. Right, I'm waiting on the couch, huffing and puffing, you know, until the alcoholic gets home, that kind of thing. And so, um, you know, I'm neglecting my needs. I'm going to sleep late because I'm waiting up for someone who doesn't come home on time. I am um, um, spending my life in anger and resentment over this. Um, I'm sporting it to other people, and so I, I often have a lot of trouble in relationships with people because. Um, All I do is talk about how angry I am at the person not coming home on time Um, and I'm not getting other things done. I might not be getting my work done because I'm so obsessed with this issue. Um, I might not eat because of this. Um, I might um, spend some finances on having someone follow the person because they're not coming home on time. And so all of these are forms of unmanageability that come up for me when I'm trying to have power over that which I'm powerless. Um, Tim i think
0: that was 10 minutes brilliant thank you um emma are you there would you like to come in next
2: uh thank you thank you for the shows um thank you for the um and uh, manageability um, I, when i came into program um, i'm Emma I'm, I'm a grateful member of Essendon. Uh when i came into program i did not want that in manageability i wanted to fight it with all my soul i did not like the idea I thought that I could fix it, I could control it, I could manage it. I could make the whole world happy if everybody would just sit still and do what I wanted. Um, in fact, I think at the time, I, um, I believed that if, if I followed the rules, people would then follow the rules. So if X happened, always Y happened. I always thought that that was how life worked. But I kept repeating the same behavior over and over, expecting to get different results i wasn't actually so far off what was subscribed by tim as the addict i just kept repeating it over and over thinking this time i'll get a handle on it that was my blind spot each time i'd go like what i don't understand how did i get here how did i how did i how am i involved in this when i should be somewhere so different and over and over i came into ethanol really on my knees because i'd literally tried everything my life was completely unmanageable at the time um I really keep, you know, when I first came to hearing about the big book, I just kept thinking, oh, my word, this is me. This is me. This is me. Um, and I was really shocked. <laughs> I really was quite shocked when I got here, how similar I was to a lot of these these, these points that were raised at the beginning of this talk. Um, I heard you he can't stop. He has a physical craving. Oh, my gosh, I can't stop. I'm like exactly what I was describing, like watching a movie. I'm hearing in my head, i must stop that. I must stop that. This is not possible. You don't need to be here in the same situation. Could I stop? Not at all. Um, And when, you know, he also, when he, you know, when, when the obsession, the total, the total complete um, thing going on in my mind all the time, um, around and around in my head worrying and the, what can I do now? What would help now? What should I do now? That kind of. A uh, mental obsession that I just couldn't get away from, and again, it was no different to the alcoholic. Um, and I really, really didn't like that when I joined because I kept saying, "This it's his problem, not mine. It's his problem, not mine." Um, and I kept repeating this insanity. Uh, my life was out of control. Um, it spun faster and faster. The intervals of these of these uh, obsessive thinking, the intervals of. Um, Wanting things my way of controlling, of manipulation. They got smaller. The intervals between them got smaller and smaller. It was such a progressive disease for me. And it's exactly the same as the alcoholic. Um, So when I came and they started talking about powerlessness, I was like, I don't want this. I I don't want this. I had such resistance. Um, I remember hearing I didn't cause it. I can't cure it. I can't control it. Um, And therefore, I have no power over it. Um, And I felt like such a failure for that. I felt like, oh, my words, I should be able to do these things. But then reality set in and I started to hear these people talk and the the truth that by admitting my powerlessness and seeing the reality that I can not do these things, that I can't, I didn't cause it, I can't cure it, I can't control it, I became freer. It was like a weight lifted off my my shoulders because I was no longer trying to be God. That's really how I felt. I was, there is a God, it's not me. And that was huge for me. Like, I just felt like it was something more than I had experienced in a very long time. I actually felt like I woke up. Um, hearing it was a disease, just like Osha said, was, was huge for me um, because then it wasn't personal i heard a, a one at the time it was called q-tip quit taking it personally and again these kind of things started to fall into place with the powerlessness and the step one admitting that it was a disease again um gave me as we said before such compassion like it's no longer he's doing it to me it's about him and his life and it's not about my it's, it's not in my control and i always thought it was And I taking that step back, waking up, seeing the reality of it. And I kept thinking at the time when I first came in, and it comes to me quite often, there by the grace of God go I, because I, I, it could so easily be me um, growing up in an environment where, um, you know, it was prime that I would become an anon. Anon. Um, I also heard at the time some kind of really clever things that really helped me, like denial, don't even notice I'm lying, which was something that I was really good at, pretending that things weren't happening and suddenly waking up and seeing what was real. Um, Minding my own business, not getting so involved in his life. Detaching with love, if possible. Um, Don't even think about changing him. Um, uh, Love, let others voluntarily evolve. It It was things like this that really gave me a place of being able to be myself again, a freedom to be myself again. And remembering no was a full sentence. Uh, these boundaries and everything that came in with the powerless of step one, accepting that I'm only I'm only responsible for me. Um, I'm only the unmanageability of of trying to ha- of having no boundaries to accepting that I'm powerless over everyone else. And suddenly I need to just look at myself and what's going on for me. So I focus on my on me and my issues. Um, it's my response to the addict that's the problem constantly. It's my response to the addict. Um, and, um, sorry, somebody's trying to get on. Um, there you go. Um, um, I'm responding unhealth- unhealthy, and the problem escalates. On and on and on, it goes. And I i sometimes, well, I often think I'm more insane than he is because he, ha- he has—he kind of has the disease and I, I just escalate around it. I'm, I'm so, all my relationships are like that, where I like that at the beginning, like so confused and so uncomfortable for me, really um and i didn't really understand why until this powerlessness and this unmanageability became part of it that i can't i can't do this on my own um enmeshment was also a huge thing for me thinking i'm responsible for his beliefs his actions his attitudes his feelings and and that i still have control and i, I don't i don't and that was again you know taking the step back making sure i knew where he finished and i started there was a gap between us two people in a relationship not one strange mishmash of dysfunctionality. Um, personal ban- boundaries were really non-existent for me, um, saying yes when I meant no, looking for approval outside myself, which you know I can never find, I can only find inside me, accepting the unacceptable. So I began with, stop doing what I'm doing, stop saying what I'm saying, and stop trying to think of something else to say or do. That was a huge, huge big deal at the beginning. Um, getting honest with myself about the powerlessness that I could accept that I actually am powerless over and over and over. Giving myself, um, uh, I was given by my sponsor loads of powerlessness to do so I could appreciate what was that sexaholism was the tip of the iceberg and underneath the water there was these huge things that were going on for me that I was powerless over. Um, I needed to accept the things I cannot change. If I don't, I make my lives unmanageable. Um, change the things I can, admit that, uh, admit what I really am powerless over. And if I don't, and if I don't, again, my life becomes unmanageable. And the wisdom to know the difference, if I don't see what I can and, ca- and can't do, I become, like, confused and paralyzed and I'm unsure what to do next. And um, my life becomes unmanageable. So I learned that I'm powerless over pretty much everything, except uh, my thoughts really um, I need to let go and begin with me the thought everything begins with me and take my eyes off him um, pretty much it was either let go or get dragged uh, the one thing I had some control over like I said is my thinking the first thought powerless but after that I can do something about Um so I tried to work it I tried to do what I what the SNR program taught me through through the big book very much uh, so that I could understand so that I would, could understand um, um, what was going on for him and therefore I could kind of understand what was going on for me. I made a list of my powerlessness uh, as honestly as I could. Made a as uh, honestly as I could um, and seeing that I'm truly powerless, the list was endless really for me. Um, I spent a long time looking at my what was going on for me and I didn't at first, like I said, uh, understand, but then as I became more and more over this, it, I, I got to understand what I could and couldn't and could control, which was um, which was my thinking, um, um, and it goes hand in hand. And, and then we came to the manageability, which Tim described before. And I kind of um, I kind of got to um, that I'm responsible for I'm responsible I'm not responsible. Uh, sorry, I am responsible for you. Um, and I saw that I thought I caused everything. Everything was my responsibility. Um, and it would bring out such rage for me when somebody wouldn't do what I wanted and um, left me feeling very frightened and angry when people didn't the, the, everything didn't match up and it was complete unmanageability because I can't control anyone else. Um, I was not responsible for things that I am responsible that was the neglect that Tim talked about. again I also had the same experience didn't go to the dentist didn't think about me the kids every three months, six months they were at the dentist my husband making the appointments he was at the dentist. I just felt very guilty about it all. Uh, Denying responsibility um, for things you are responsible, scheming to make sure he does things like getting to his appointments, for example, Um, left me feeling very frustrated. Um, um, I gave other people responsibility for me. I blamed him for everything. Um, A glass smashed in the kitchen. He wasn't even home. I was responsible, he was responsible for it. And I could feel the rage build up inside me. How can he, how can that happen? And these were all really such big things for me. It was a big waking up. Um, I felt like I'd been asleep before watching myself. And then suddenly, with the help of the big book and the help of the sponsor and the help of these key things in my life with the unmanageability and the powerlessness going hand in hand, I woke up. I can't say I completely woke up because that took more steps, but I woke up enough to know this was unmanageable. I can't, I can't do this. I am powerless over this. And that led me into knowing that I need to take the next steps, that I need to find something bigger than me that can. And that was my, that was the awakening that I had at the beginning of the first step. And that's what this, what this gave me. And um, thank you for letting me share That's 10 minutes as far as I'm aware, Tim.
0: Brilliant, thank you. Just to remind uh, everyone and for those who've come in, the formal talks, which we're in the middle of, are recorded. The audio only will be available. Uh, Lots of links have been posted. Um, uh, You'll be able to access the materials. The written materials are up there on the website already. We're actually um, uh, in the the process of putting together, as it were, a proper website, so one that looks like a normal website and is permanent and Googleable with all the materials and all the talks for posterity. It'll, we've al- I've already got a domain and everything, it's very simple. Um, so within a couple of weeks, you'll be able to point people towards that. Uh, so we're aiming to make sure that this, any benefit from this is not limited to those who happen to be here today, but is there in perpetuity for anyone who's interested in what we're discovering. Um, uh, someone just asked, what's the present website? I put a link to the there's a, a the flyer for this, which I put a link to has got all of the notes on there and you can look up where to find things on there. So uh, we've also got a chat server where we w- where we can post questions and answers. and I put the link there. It will all become as you investigate over the course of the day and come in future weeks, it will all become perfectly clear. Um, and would you like to come in next?
3: Hi, my name is I'm a member of Esanon and Al-Anon, and Naranon and Onon. Um, so, I identify with, um, with the way the disease is described for alcoholics in the way that I have a physical allergy. When I start certain activities, I cannot stop. Um, if I'm angry at a person, past experience has showed me that it's, I should not speak to them. And then i'll make a decision i'm just gonna say one sentence and then i'm gonna stop and when i say that one sentence i lose total control and i keep on going and going and going and inside of me the voice is saying shut up shut up stop it you're gonna be so embarrassed after which, you're gonna have to apologize to this person you don't even like just stop talking and i can't i don't get to decide when i stop talking my disease decides for me um people pleasing i've been so embarrassed by my people pleasing it's it's so it's me. It's so degrading. I say I'm not going to people please, but then I'm so uncomfortable with someone being annoyed at me. I say to myself, I'm just going to say one thing so that they know that I'm happy with them and maybe they'll be happy with me. And once I start, I can't stop. I keep on going and going and going until my disease says that's enough. And I have that with trying to control people with being dishonest. And there have been times in my life where those are the things, the angry, the people pleasing, the controlling, the manipulating, the mothering. Those are constant for me. And then I've had other things that have come and go throughout the years. There have been times when once I start buying craft projects, I can't stop. Once I start eating chocolate chip cookies, I can't stop. But those have come and gone. And so those there are certain things that are rotate, and there are certain things that are just constant for me. And then I have, I have the mental obsession, that I make a decision when I'm saying I'm not going to do certain things because they're disruptive to my life. They hurt me. They embarrass me. I'm not going to do them. I have a plan, and then I cannot carry through with the plan. I have a plan. I'm not going to speak to a person when they're angry. I'll wait till it passes. But then when I get angry, my mind tells me you should speak to them. They should see how much what they did hurt you. And I'll hold it back, and I'll hold it back, and I'll hold it back until a certain point. I can't hold it back. And I go and I talk to them, and I say things that I'm really sorry about. And the same thing with people-pleasing. I'll wake up in the morning and I say, I'm not going to people-please. It's so degrading. I'm not going to do it. And I can't carry out this plan. I can't stick to it. My life is unmanageable. I'm not managing my life. My disease is managing it for me. And it's with that, with all the things that I have an allergy towards, anything that I start that I can't stop. And for me, the disease is fatal. I've, I've never been suicidal, but for me, fatal in the way that I've gone through depressions and I'm full of fear and I can't live my life. It's spiritually fatal because it, my disease cuts me off from God, and it's fatal to all my relationships. It has my disease of anonymism has destroyed or severely hurt all of my relationships. My disease is progressive in the way that, as the years went by, I acted out more and more and more and more often. I stayed in this place of acting out for longer periods of time. And I took more intense actions in carrying them out. I went to greater lengths to people-please and to control, um, and in expressing my anger when I'm angry. Um, my disease is incurable. I searched for a solution in religion, in in therapy, in in books, in classes, in speaking to religious leaders. I didn't find any any solution for my disease. And the prognosis is that with spiritual illness. And my solution is to work a spiritual program that will lead to a spiritual awakening. And my life is unmanageable. The manageability comes because it sounds so simple. I'm responsible for me and you're responsible for you. Except that I I, I live the opposite and I was totally unaware that I was living the opposite. So my mind thinks and I'm not responsible for that first thought. But what I do with it is my responsibility. Do I run with it and imagine every terrible thing that could possibly happen as a result of this, or do I turn to God and ask him to help me come back to the here and now and stay in the present? And what I wasn't aware of is that I tend to run with every thought. I'm way too tolerant of my mind wandering, and I let it take me wherever it wants to go. And what I've learned here is that my thoughts affect my emotions, they affect my beliefs, they affect the words that leave my mouth, they affect my actions. And as I gain more control of my thinking, I have more control on all the rest of them. And um, a while ago, about a year ago, my son asked me if uh, told me he was going to run a marathon. He wanted to know if I wanted to train. If he would have said, let's run the marathon tomorrow, I would have had to say, no, I can't. There's no way I can't. I'm, I'm not in shape. But he said he was going to give himself six months and if I wanted to also train. I didn't. But he trained. And six months later, he ran the marathon. I Had the potential to run the marathon, but I didn't practice. I didn't train so I couldn't and it's the same thing with getting Gaining control over my thoughts if I practice it and I pray over it and I meditate over it I can gain control of my, my thinking, but I need to apply myself. I need to practice it and so for me I I broke the, the two um, Spiritual principles of I'm responsible for me and you're responsible for you in the four ways that I've already been mentioned I I took responsibility for others. I didn't recognize that that's what I was doing, but I had a plan for everyone in my life And I thought I had this plan because I love them and I know what's best for them And so I had a plan that my husband should be clean and how he should parent and how he should act in social Interactions. I had a plan of how my parents could be healthy. I had a par- a plan of how my children could succeed in life but if my plan was really because I love them then I could have offered the plan and then let it go if they didn't take it. But they didn't take it and I didn't let it go. I tried controlling them, and the reason I tried controlling them is because I thought I need them to be a certain way for me to feel okay in this world. And when I control, my life becomes unmanageable. I wasn't. I wasn't. I didn't recognize that that's what I was doing and that I was controlling. And as a result of it, I was acting unaware, and I was. I. My life became unmanageable. Um, I did not take responsibility for me. Sometimes because I didn't feel worthy. Sometimes because I was so busy managing everyone else's life, I didn't have time for myself. Um, Either way, when I neglect myself, my life becomes unmanageable. I never woke up in the morning and said, today I'm going to neglect myself. I thought I would take care of myself, but I couldn't carry through with this plan of taking care of myself. My disease is running my life. It's managing my life, and my life became unmanageable. Um, I live my life by "You're not responsible for you. And I would say this about the addict and other people. He's so disorganized, he's so incapable, he's so pitiful. He needs me. And then I would do for others what they can do for themselves. And I would accept unacceptable, unacceptable behavior. and I became a doormat, and I taught people that they can walk all over me. I never planned on being a doormat. I never planned on letting people walk all over me. But that's what happened, and my life as a result of my powerlessness over being a doormat it became unmanageable. And um, I handed over my responsibility to others. I, I, in my mind, I was thinking, you're responsible for me. So if he's sad, I'm sad. Or if he's sad, I'm happy to counterbalance him. Either way, the way he, his emotions determine my emotions. Or the addict acts out and I feel ashamed. And the thing that I acted out on the most was I would yell, if you weren't so irresponsible, I wouldn't be angry and yell at you. It's your fault. So your your decisions, your behavior determines my feelings and my behavior. And when I give someone else responsibility for me, I always end up blaming them. And when I hand responsibility of myself over to others, my life becomes unmanageable. So we spoke about the three C's, I didn't create, I didn't control, and I can't cure. But I certainly can complicate the disease. I can get in the addict's way by, by acting out on the four M's that we mentioned earlier, by people pleasing, by trying to control, by telling them how much what they're doing is bothering me. And what I need to remember is at all time is this fifth C, that I have choices. I'm not a victim. I'm an adult and I always have choices. I, have a, I cannot I can no longer honestly blame someone for my behavior. And I'll end with that.
0: Thank you. I'm going to allow the recording to continue for a little bit because we've got a couple of questions which have come in, which I'm initially going to present to the presenters who've agreed to be recorded. Uh, if, If people are willing to carry on for a little bit after that and want to share or contribute, then we'll turn the recording off. But for now, Uh, The first question, um, can you say more about the mental blank spot or blind spot? Um, uh, Osha, would you like to come in on that one?
1: I'm not really clear on that one. I can try for question two, but I'm going to pass
0: on question one. Okay, uh, uh, Emma, would you like to come in on question one? Can you say more about the mental blank spot or blind spot?
2: for me that always means that i can't see what i can't see i'm like asleep um when when it's exactly well for me uh, a mental blind spot was that i never for me i was in denial and i could never really see what was going on because i i think also because i didn't really want to quite frankly um and i um I lived in a kind of fantasy world where I thought everything was the way I wanted it to be rather than um, what it really was. Um, And then I would pretend everything was okay for a bit and everything seemed like this fantasy, I was okay for a bit. And there was this blind spot that things were going on and I truly didn't want to see it. So in some shape or form, I I was like, you know, when you're driving along, there's that bit that you can't see. Um, And that for me was, was the thing i i just i just i couldn't see what i couldn't see um and it took me it took me to come here to be able to be aware enough that um that there was something going on and that's what kind of helped me to shine a bit of light on it that um not to live in what i believed uh, which was fantasy and denial but to believe but to live in what was real what was really going on um and that's what helped me that the powerlessness seeing and maligability having the having God come in that's that's what I perceive to be my blind spot
0: thank you I'm going to give an example of a blind spot as well so uh so I've been in recovery for over 27 years now uh there are a lot of alcoholics and addicts in my life and uh in the past doesn't oh I I'm sure I still do it today on occasion I play games Now what's a game? Um, A game sounds fun. The game that I'm talking about here is not fun. Uh, By game, I mean ritualized set of uh, behaviors where the real purpose lies way below the surface. So what is going on on the surface is not what is going on underneath. And in the past, I've uh, used people I've inveigled people into dialogues where the purpose of the dialogue is to make them wrong and me right where the purpose of the dialogue is to take my guilt turn it into blame and throw it at someone else project it against someone else Um, and it can come in all sorts of forms it can come in in, uh, it can look like a request for help but really, it's, a, it's, a, it's an invitation to a dance, as my friend Corey says. And the blind spot is this. I can have the experience of having 100 phone calls in a row with someone where the phone call derails and ends up in some kind of weird conflict. And the phone rings again, and I pick it up and think, this time it'll be different. This time there will be a way of answering this person which keeps them happy and placid where they say thank you so much, that was so helpful. The blind spot is not learning from my experience and just repeating the same thing again and again and again thinking if only I explain it right, it will all be okay um, and it doesn't work. Uh, Ellie Shevard, do you want to come in on the blind spot?
3: Um, the only thing I could add is I, I, for years and years and years, thought if I just find the right words at the right time and say it at the right, in the right intonation, that would change everything. Um, and, um, yeah, that, I, I, I think the whole unmanageability is the mental blind spot, that I was totally unaware of what I was doing. I was totally unaware of what others were doing and the, the effect it was having on me.
0: Brilliant. So, um, uh, now question two, uh, which way should I work the steps for the first time when I'm new to the program and I'm both alcoholic and alanonic, AA or Alan. Oh, share. I think you said you were able to come in on that one.
1: Sure. Thanks, Tim. Um, and so the big book of Alcoholics anonymous tells us very clearly that we need to be sober when we're going through the steps. So, um, First things first is to make sure that I am no longer drinking or using while I'm going through the steps. Um, and then, you know, with regard to AA or Al-Anon, um, my experience is um, that I was taught to go through the steps and then go through the traditions and then go back again to this through the steps and go through the traditions. So, um, I, I will tell you that I firmly believe that um, higher power is in charge of your journey, and so. Whatever your sponsor tells you to do if you're able to stay sober while you're doing it and you have a a, a, um, deep understanding and learning of the steps um, Follow what your sponsor tells you to do Um, I also will say that if there's an option to go through the big book and do it um, My experience has always been that going through the big book um, um, Has immense effects on my life. And um, uh, just, there, there's there's nothing equivalent to it. The Al-Anon literature is extremely helpful. And when I went through the steps using the Al-Anon literature also changed my life. But I had done, I had already gone through the big book a few times. So um, that's my experience, thanks.
0: Brilliant, thanks. Um, Ellie, Chevron Evan, I'm gonna ask you, if, can you turn off the recording at your end? Actually, no, I can turn it off.